Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're studying uh, the book of Philippians on Sunday morning. As we're finding our way there, just a reminder that on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we'll be in John's Gospel chapter 15 this evening. Uh, one additional announcement, if you consider Calvary Chapel to be your home church, we ask that you join our evening service tonight for an important announcement. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul writes, by the Spirit of God, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that, my, that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him uh, the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your love for us. Thank you for the way that you care for us. How you look after us. How you're willing to speak and disciple and nurture and you know where every one of us, when we came to you, our starting point was. You know where we are today. You know what we need to hear. You know what we need to receive from you today, from your word. You've been faithful to do that and faithful to honor your word in our hearts. And we pray for this little passage that we're going to look at this morning that you would express your wisdom and your power and your love, Lord, and your grace to us through it. And we ask for this work of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This passage of Scripture centers upon three men. The Apostle Paul, uh, his young protege by the name of Timothy, and then a man by the name of Epaphroditus. We remember that uh, the Apostle Paul was at this time in which he wrote this. He was in custody in the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, and uh, awaiting his trial before Caesar Nero. So he's unable to travel to Philippi himself to address the needs that are of concern to him there within the church, and though he would like to have done that himself. And so Paul does the next closest thing to sending himself to the church to kind of help it and learn what's going on, and that is uh, to send Timothy to them as soon as possible. Timothy was in Rome with Paul. He wasn't incarcerated as Paul was, and so uh, he was uh, available to make that trip to uh, Philippi. And then Paul hoped that Philo Timothy would make that trip to Philippi, come back to him in Rome, with a report that uh, the church was stable and the church was healthy and uh, the problems had been addressed, mainly problems having to do uh, with division. Paul could have done that with letters. He could have done a series of letters back and forth. But if you really want to know what's going on in a situation, uh, as wonderful as letters might be, it's to send a human being. Uh, that thinks like you, that knows how you see things, to go with their own eyes, their own ears, assess the situation, 
and then bring back a living assessment to you. And that's what Paul was sending Timothy uh, to uh, Philippi, Philippi in order to provide him with that kind of a firsthand uh, report. Timothy, uh, as he's described here in verses 19 to 24, probably first met, uh, Paul first met Timothy some 15 years earlier than this while on his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14. Timothy was a youth at the time. On the first missionary journey, the Apostle Paul came to a city by the name of Lystra. He preached the gospel there, and uh, it seems clear that as a part of his ministry there in Lystra, Timothy heard the gospel, he heard Paul uh, teach, and uh, became a Christian as a result of Paul's ministry. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul uh, addresses Timothy as a true son in the faith. Five years later, Paul begins his second missionary journey with a man by the name of Silas. And while they're on the second missionary journey, Paul returned to Derby and to Lystra, where he re-encountered Timothy. And Timothy now, after these five years, is not only uh, five years more mature physically, but he has also grown greatly spiritually, so much so that the Christians within uh, the, the church there and within the community and the surrounding region uh, spoke very, very favorably uh, of him and his relationship with the Lord and his spirituality. Paul, as he comes then to Lystra, he desired at that point for Timothy now to join him and Silas on their second missionary uh, journey in order to provide the same kind of physical support uh, that John Mark would have uh, been intended to provide on the first missionary journey, except that he abandoned them at some point and then he returned home. All of this is significant because Timothy joined Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey immediately before they came to the city of Philippi for the first time. And for the first time, the Apostle Paul comes into Philippi and he begins to preach the gospel there and to minister in that city. So it means that um, uh, Timothy here would have not experienced every single thing that Paul and Silas did there, but he would have been a witness to all of it, and, and he would have experienced it on some level. When Paul takes on that uh, uh, first Sabbath going down to uh, the, uh, the river uh, there in, by Philippi, and he preaches the gospel, there's a group of women there, one of them by the name of Lydia. She gives her heart to the Lord as well as others. Then there's that demon-possessed girl uh, that was prophesying and making a fortune for her owners, and Paul turns and casts the demon out of her. That created quite an uproar. Uh, touching their pocketbooks. And so uh, then he, uh, he ends up being severely beaten with Silas and then thrown into the depth of the prison there in Philippi. At midnight, Silas and, Philippi, uh, Silas and uh, Paul begin to uh, pray and begin to praise the Lord and uh, worship the Lord in that environment. This was like a brand new thing in a pagan ancient prison. I mean, all you would have was grumbling and that kind of thing, and I, I was done wrong, and here is something the prisoners have never heard before. And they listened. And then God be, uh, brings this earthquake and, uh, that hits the prison. The uh, prisoners are set free as a result of it. And then the salvation of the Philippian jailer and his entire family. And Timothy would have been familiar with every aspect of the birth of the church, the development of the church there uh, in, in Philippi as a result of having a personal connection to it and, uh, and a personal connection with the people who attended it. Concerning Epaphroditus in verses 20 to 25 to 30, it appears that when the church at Philippi heard that the Apostle Paul was now uh, in, uh, his incarceration had moved from Caesarea in the area of Israel, and now he is, was uh, going to be incarcerated in Rome, uh, they sent uh, 
uh, Epaphroditus with a sum of money to Rome to deliver that money uh, to him. Epaphroditus dispatched for the two purposes. First of all, uh, to deliver that sum of money to help uh, cover Paul's uh, expenses. In the ancient world, um, when you were imprisoned, uh, the governments of the ancient world did not feel compelled to provide you with uh, always to provide you with food or clothing or bedding or anything like that. Uh, and, and so you were dependent upon your family on the outside. You were dependent upon uh, other loved ones and friends on the outside to supply uh, whatever resources you would need to get by in your incarceration. And so uh, here was his necessities uh, needed to be provided for, and the Church of Philippi recognized it and said, let's get some money to him so he can eat and, and uh, be taken care of. The second reason that the church sent Epaphroditus there was in order that he would be a help of any kind that Paul needed. And, uh, and so they sent him in order that Epaphroditus would stay there with Paul in Rome uh, until Paul was brought before Caesar Nero and would find out what, what was to be his fate at the hand of, of the Caesar. Evidently, either while Epaphroditus was making his journey from, uh, from Philippi to Rome, a journey of about 800 miles would have taken about seven weeks to cover uh, over land and sea, given the sea routes and given the, uh, the roads that were available in those days. Upon, before he got to Rome, he became uh, deathly ill. Uh, it's also possible that he became very, very ill upon arriving in Rome and then uh, delivering money to Paul. In the words of, uh, of Paul in verse 27, he was sick almost unto death. And the language is he was right at death's door. And only a miracle of God uh, brought him out of uh, uh, dying in that situation as Paul declares God had mercy on him. If he had died, Paul said, that would have been a, a double sorrow for me. I'm experiencing the sorrow of being incarcerated and then the sorrow of the death of someone who had been sent here uh, to help me. It would have uh, broken his heart. And, and when news of Epaphroditus' dire condition uh, got back to the church in Philippi, evidently it took him quite a while to recover, and uh, Epaphroditus's uh, concern after he had recovered uh, was for all of the people that he loved and knew him back home in Philippi uh, who would be worried about him now in this uh, distant city of Rome and he wanted to return back to Philippi to put their uh, minds at ease. The problem that Paul faced uh, in sending Epaphroditus back early and it gives us a glimpse at the Apostle Paul's a sensitive wisdom in his dealing with people, tremendous maturity. He realized that uh, if he sent uh, Epaphroditus back uh, prior to Epaphroditus and Paul, knowing the outcome of his upcoming uh, trial, prior to the end of the term of service uh, that Epaphroditus had agreed to with the church there in, in Philippi, and, and, uh, and then made his way uh, home, then there was the potential for some of them to be in the church to be disappointed at this and to look at him unfavorably as a result. We sent you to take care of Paul until he knew what was going to happen to him before Ciro, uh, uh, Nero, and what are you doing uh, back here uh, leaving him uh, 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 without the support that we intended. And so Paul, with apostolic authority, in verse 29, he instructed the church to receive Epaphroditus gladly upon his return, to view all of these developments as God's will in the situation, and he instructed them to receive him gladly upon his return and, and to hold him and all like him in high esteem. And so he informed them that Epaphroditus had accomplished what it is that they, they desired him to accomplish 
and uh, uh, in, in supplying him with the care that they could not because of their, the distance that separated them as he speaks of it there uh, in, in verse 30. Paul makes mention of the near death of Epaphroditus due to his, his illness uh, and, and his determination to be faithful to the mission that he had uh, been set up, uh, upon, uh, faithful uh, even, even to the point of death. And when Paul mentioned that, mentions that, it's intended to uh, overcome really any of the hardest of hearts in Philippi that might have viewed uh, Epaphroditus as a disappointment or view him with suspicion or uh, for the rest of his life for people to look and say, uh, we sent the wrong guy, we should have sent uh, somebody else. Evidently, Epaphroditus was also tasked to bring this letter that we're studying on Sunday mornings back uh, from Paul in Rome back to the church in Philippi to be read. Now, in a book like Philippians, which is filled with so much theological truth, so much um, uh, practical application to our lives, when we come to this section, even for people for whom this book is one of their favorites, when we come to this section in chapter 2, it, it almost seems like flyover territory. And uh, it looks like a travelogue, and you read it and you think, well, I guess that was important to say, but I... I, I don't know that it has anything important to say to me today, and of course that would be uh, wrong. First, having uh, instructed us earlier in chapter 2 concerning the mind of Christ and the example of Christ, the Holy Spirit now introduces for the church at Philippi uh, Paul, uh, Timothy, and Epaphroditus as examples of the fact that human beings and individual people uh, that can be, uh, uh, live with the mind of Christ, can have the mind of Christ in our lives. We can live with Christ's example, and that's not some kind of an impossible dream for us as Christians, that it can uh, be a reality. And he puts them in himself on display for that, that fact. So nobody says, well, this is an impossibility to be able to live a life without being dominated by uh, selfish ambition or pride or self-absorption. And, and that reality to live free of those three things, I mean, it's something we're not going to know in its ultimate degree this side of heaven, but it should be something that we're growing uh, in as all three of them were. Second, this passage provides us with practical insight into what is the theme of this entire section in chapter 1, verse 27, what let, uh, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what that should look like in our personal uh, and, and ministry uh, friendships and relationships as Christians. And here we have a description of the kind of person or the kind of Christian we are to hold in high esteem, uh, the kind of person we can safely make examples uh, in, in our lives and the kind of characteristics that we should look for in those that we give a place of influence in our lives by way of significant relationship and significant uh, friendship. And additionally, it informs us about the kind of characteristics we will want to have mark our lives so we bring those same things into every other relationship in our lives as well. And so the character of who we make our closest and deepest friends in life uh, is important because friends aren't only friends, they are influencers in our lives. And the book of Proverbs is filled with this subject and the Bible itself is uh, filled with this subject. Let me give you a couple of examples. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads him astray. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul writing to this very Timothy, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. 
And what Paul is saying there is if you think you aren't influenced uh, by the people you surround yourself with, you are deceived. And uh, you're the self-deceived uh, in that situation. You may or may not be aware of the fact that we have a friendship and a relationship crisis going on in the United States. It is so protracted and it is so big uh, that it has been even given a label and it is referred to as an epidemic of loneliness. The huge number of people that live within our nation who are living their lives devoid of deep, meaningful, or satisfying relationships in their lives. According to brand new data from Morning Consult, uh, the commissioned by the Cigna Corporation, a global health uh, uh, service company, uh, the, it declared that more than half of U.S. adults, 58%, are considered uh, lonely. Uh, and, th- and this results in a dramatic and detrimental effect, not only upon uh, being lonely, but uh, mentally a detrimental uh, impact uh, upon such a person, physical health being affected, it greatly influences a person's life expectancy. A recent Columbia University study also found loneliness uh, to be prevalent in the United States, uh, describing loneliness as the subjective feeling of inadequate, meaningful connection uh, to others. And you have had for many years now the medical and social communities within the United States of America who are uh, mortified with their concern for the sheer number of baby boomers that have entered into old age without a single deep, meaningful relationship in their life raised up in their lifetime and, and beginning in their lifetime, the age in the United States of uh, easy divorce, easy to cast off uh, even the most significant of relationships, a time in American history where it began like never before, the nurturing of selfishness and putting yourself first above uh, everybody else, including relationships uh, within your life. And because uh, selfishness uh, in our culture is a mortal enemy to deep, meaningful relationships, that population in great number is entering alone into uh, old age. But while that, that kind of loneliness affects 41% of seniors, astonishingly, fully 79%, almost double, of young adults aged 18 to 24 are dealing with the very same thing. This is even more shocking when we consider the fact that back in the 1970s, the percentage of loneliness in all adults 18 years and older was a mere 11% by comparison. And these trends are not unique to the United States of America. They mark England, they mark Europe, they mark Japan, they mark Russia, they mark uh, South America, Central America, uh, and uh, for example... Now, of course, there are many, many reasons for all of this. It is a multifaceted problem. But clearly, as a culture, we are, seem to be at a loss as to how to uh, develop and then to sustain deep, meaningful relationships in our lives with other people. And I don't think it's coincidental at all that this uh, exponential growth in this loneliness and inability to develop uh, relationships, meaningful, deep relationships, has uh, uh, occurred in, uh, in direct proportion to our culture's kind of ever-increasing rejection of God, the Bible, His wisdom, even concerning this uh, subject and His instruction about what constitutes a solid foundation for a personal relationship 
And uh, what are the marks of a healthy relationship? What's required of me in order to attract and maintain these kind of relationships? And thankfully for us as Christians, the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark on these things. It's filled with safe, practical, uh, healthy wisdom and instruction in this regard. And this passage is among the passages that addresses uh, it. And it's so important, especially as it relates to the theme of the book of Philippians, and that is joy, because no one is going to know a deep joy in life apart from meaningful relationships. I don't intend to be exhaustive on the subject, who in the world could be, with the remaining time. But I want to observe enough things about relationships and healthy relationships from the lives of Paul and Timothy and Paul and Epaphroditus to kind of pump, prime the pump and get us thinking about these things. So the characteristics that make for healthy, meaningful, long-lasting relationships with others from these lives. And I want us to look at, at these things, examining our own lives, examining uh, the lives that we have friendships and relationships with, and uh, certainly for any of us who are married, we will want this grid that we're about to go through uh, to uh, examine our, our marriages as well. So these e examples of, of healthy, long-lasting uh, and meaningful relationships as exemplified in Paul and Timothy as it's laid out in verses 20 to 22. You notice that Paul described Timothy as being like-minded. This doesn't mean that they thought the same thing about uh, everything. But what it means is they shared the same priorities in life. You could not have, in the ancient world just about, had two people who were more different from one another than the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Uh, you, uh, it's, it's a marvel that... Uh, they ever became the friends that they were to one another. And Timothy, uh, somewhat timid, Paul was very, very bold. Timothy was given to fear, and uh, more easily than Paul, he would look at a situation, all he could see what, is what could go wrong and why we ought to, you know, be careful here and not take a step of faith and, and, and all. Uh, Paul would look at the same situation and... Uh, uh, and, and all he could see is possibilities. Uh, Timothy, uh, very much more emotional than Paul. And, and, and he had to deal with his emotions and staying on the right track. Paul, his emotions were uh, very much uh, subservient to uh, his mind and to his thinking. Timothy could be easily discouraged and intimidated. Paul was not. Timothy could be somewhat dependent. Paul was very independent. Timothy's health was fragile at times, and it would take him out of, of commission or slow him down. Paul, when he got illnesses, he just worked right through the physical uh, problems. And yet, despite all of those differences, Paul loved Timothy and he trusted him. And the same thing was true of Timothy toward Paul. Despite all of those differences in their lives, like-mindedness overcame all of them in the ways that really mattered, in more important ways, they were very much alike, like-minded in their love for the Lord, like-minded in how they viewed people, like-minded in their view of Christian service, their commitment to that Christian service, like-minded in their spiritual priorities, what they esteemed to be the most important things in life, the highest priorities uh, in life. They were what is sometimes called today kindred spirits. And here we learn as Christians not to limit our pool of friendships and relationships to those who think or act like us in every way, but that deep, meaningful relationships can occur with people who are very different from us in lesser ways in life, as long as we are like-minded concerning our spiritual priorities. There are some people, uh, and even Christians, who seem incapable or unwilling uh, to develop a friendship with anyone who isn't just like them, who doesn't think just uh, like them, 
who doesn't view everything the same way that they do in the comparatively inconsequential things in life. And it's a great mistake. Not only does it severely limit the pool of potential relationships in our lives, but is very likely to lead uh, to a lonely life in the end. But on top of all of that, it's boring. Who wouldn't want to have a relationship where people are very different from us to stretch our thinking, to stretch our perspectives, and, and uh, to stretch us emotionally in all kinds uh, of different ways? Second, you notice Paul described Timothy in verse 20 as one who would sincerely care for your state. So here, Timothy is a caring man. He is a sympathetic man. And a caring and a sympathetic person is hardly going to lack for uh, meaningful relationships in a world that are full of uh, hurt and broken people. A person who is uncaring and unsympathetic toward uh, other people can hardly be surprised at their lack of meaningful relationships. Because while a person might not need caring and sympathy from a friend every single day. We will need it occasionally. And woe to the relationship that doesn't have that to offer uh, when we really do uh, need it. You notice that word sincerely. This speaks of the necessity of being a person who takes a genuine, sincere interest and the other person in the relationship. In other words, it's not phony, it's not an act, because if it's phony or an act, it won't hold up over the long haul, and my life will be doomed to just this long history of short, superficial uh, relationships heaped one upon the other throughout the entirety of my life. Notice number three in verse 21, Paul described Timothy as one who doesn't seek his own but the things of Christ. That is, Timothy was unselfish. Selfishness is also uh, a mortal enemy to the health of any relationship. Where one person does all of the giving and the other person does all of the taking, it will not hold up over the long haul of a relationship. Even when you have a marriage that is like this, where one partner is giving, uh, doing all of the giving and the other is doing all uh, uh, of the taking, the marriage may continue because of the commitment of the giver uh, to the marriage, but the marriage will never be marked by strong, meaningful, rewarding relationship. It will be a shell of a marriage because relationship is only healthy to the degree that we are mutual in our giving and in our receiving. Number four in verse 22, Paul declared Timothy to be one who possesses proven character. And here we learn the importance of uh, good and proven character to any relationship. This speaks to the issues of respect and the issue uh, of trust. No relationship will thrive without the element of respect for the character of the other person in the relationship. And no one will ever be able to exhibit full trust in any relationship where there is not proven character, where a person proves themselves to be untrustworthy. In that relationship, uh, there'll always be, a person will be forced to be guarded and wary in the relationship as opposed to uh, feeling free and feeling safe in the relationship. Long-lasting relationships are ones in which we can trust the other person with our secrets, with our deepest thoughts, and, and with our feelings. And this is one of the reasons why people who cannot keep confidences, 
people who are gossips, people who are uh, tale bearers, end up without deep, meaningful relationships in their lives because people learn very, very quickly this person can't be trusted on any level, let alone with the deepest thoughts and, and feelings that I have in my life. Fifth notice in the end of verse 22 that Paul describes Timothy as a servant, as one who serves. And the Greek word that Paul uses for serve there is the Greek word doulos. And it means a bond servant, it means a bond slave. It was the, it was the title that was given to the servant uh, who had the lowest position even among uh, servants. Now, a servant, and the best definition I've ever heard of a servant, is one who lives to make life better for the other person, and that's a servant. And that's a very, very healthy attitude to carry into uh, any uh, relationship. This also speaks of Timothy's um, humility. Uh, Humility's opposite is pride to see myself above others, uh, and that will never, ever be a healthy component in any healthy relationship where I see myself as superior to that other uh, person. Healthy relationships are ones where there is a sense of privilege on the part of both people in that relationship, that sense that this other person is a gift to me that I can't believe is in my life, and then for them to feel uh, the same way about our lives being a blessing as well. You notice, too, that Paul wrote of Timothy here that he served with me in the gospel. And here it's important to notice that this relationship between Paul and Timothy developed in the context of ministry in the context of serving the Lord together. In a a local church like this, or in any local church, most of these kind of valued relationships begin uh, in and around some area of Christian service. These relations do not happen by putting two chairs across from one another and staring into one another's eyes or asking them what they think about this or what they think about uh, 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 that and asking some kind of questions of one another as some kind of a compatibility test, Uh, that's a very uncomfortable environment and, and nothing great is going to develop out of that. But as we participate mutually in some area of ministry in a church, we're able to get to know a person slowly and to get to know them safely. We get to know them from a little bit of a distance and, and it allows some uh, trust and, a, and a, a, a sense of compatibility uh, to, to develop and then uh, to allow it to grow into something deeper if we desire. This is especially true of men. I'm sure it's true to, uh, to some degree with all human beings. But men tend to develop relationships based upon a mutual task. You know, somebody's put a ball in our hand, or we're on a missions trip that has to do with construction or digging a ditch or uh, some kind of a project at the church or whatever kind of things that it, uh, that it, uh, that it might be, a fishing trip or whatever, uh, whatever it, it, it could be. And without serving in some capacity with other Christians, I will be cutting off a major means by which these kinds of relationships develop in our lives as Christians. This is precisely how Paul and Timothy came into contact with one another and from which that relationship uh, developed. Notice, too, that Paul described his ministry relationship with Timothy as that of a son with his father. Paul's probably about 25 years uh, older Uh, than uh, Timothy, but Christian service brought them into contact with one another and it allowed for a relationship to develop even across such a large age gap uh, between them. Now, in our culture, people tend to separate from one another in large part uh, based upon age. 
and the younger have relatively little contact with the older, and thus there's little opportunity to develop a friendship with someone who is older, except in kind of the limited context of a family or in a, in a workplace. And the older have very little meaningful contact so often with the younger. And this does a, a horrible disservice to both the young and, and younger and the older. But Christian service brings not only young and old together within a local church, but it brings every kind of person uh, together and into contact and relationship with one another. I think it's a big mistake, and I know of a couple of churches that are in the middle of doing this presently, to start a, a church with the focus of that church uh, uh, upon one generation, a determined effort to make the focus of the ministry on one generation or another. I know, for instance, one of the churches I know, or both of them, have the focus of just a younger generation. One of them puts it right on their website and the whole thing. This is a church for people who are 30 years old and younger. And so anybody else, uh, come at your own risk or whatever it, it, it might, uh, might be. The problem with that is the church is a family, and a family's made up of multiple generations. What family do you know that is made up of one generation? It is the multiple generations being united together in all of these different ways, not by blood in terms of physically, but the blood of Christ uniting us together into this, uh, this, this family and each of us needing uh, the young and the old and everybody in between and the relationships with one another in order that a church can be the blessing that God intends it uh, to be. I close with uh, this example that Paul makes as he continues in this theme of relationships as he uh, gives examples out of his relationship with Epaphroditus in verse 25. Paul was an apostle, and he calls Epaphroditus in verse 25, my brother. And that speaks to a lot of things. But one of the things this can speak to in our lives is that each of us needs to have relationships in our lives in which all of our titles, all of our achievements, uh, all of our positions in life, even in the church, do not loom over the relationship. They do not dominate the relationships. Having relationships in our lives in which everyone is equal, on equal footing, on equal grounds to interact with one another on the same level, and every one of us needs uh, just such relationships in our lives. Paul called Epaphroditus my fellow worker. So again, you see the emphasis on the fact that relationship starts and it develops uh, around a shared experience in Christian service. And then he called Epaphroditus my fellow soldier. And here we have the importance of loyalty in our relationships and in our Christian relationships, where when the battle starts and life is a battle, or very far from the home in heaven that we sang about here uh, uh, this morning. And when life becomes very difficult, becomes very intense, uh, a fellow soldier is the friend that stands with us and that we stand with them. We have a saying in our culture, a friend in need uh, is a friend indeed. And the idea is a friend uh, uh, while in need, they're, they're your friend while you're in need, is a friend indeed. And of course, these kind of storms and wars and things that go on, the difficulties that come into our life, uh, they separate the fair weather friends from uh, our other, uh, uh, other friends who live under the motto, a friend that ain't indeed is a friend in, indeed. Ain't in need as a friend indeed. Or when the going gets tough, I get going. And uh, that's, that's not going to make very good relationships. There are some people who just stick with you through thick and thin. And, uh, and 
the, those are the friends uh, that Epaphroditus was to Paul, and our friends need us to be the same in their lives. There's an old, um, an English publication that offered a prize for the best definition of a friend, and they received, of course, thousands of answers, and uh, a couple of them are, are follow. Uh, one who multiplies joys and divides griefs. That's very good. A second one is one who understands our silence. That's very, very good too. Uh, the one that won the prize was a friend, the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. And Paul and Timothy uh, and Epaphroditus, uh, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus were that to Paul, and Paul was that to them. And I think this passage provides us with uh, really important food for thought for where we'll find these kind of relationships in life, uh, just as the Apostle Paul did, as well as being reminded of what is required in us uh, and others, uh, needs that others will have from us in our relationship with them. And healthy relationships being such a foundational part of experiencing joy in life. Now, as Christians, we have an advantage that nobody else has in the world in this regard. And I think of it as like a circus where you've got a high wire act and they're walking back and forth, but mostly with the, the trapeze where they're just flipping one another back and forth on, on all of, of that. And what we have in this uh, circus of life, this circus um, uh, that relationships can sometimes be, and how iffy they can be at times, um, we have a safety net. And the safety net that we have underneath all, no matter what people are or aren't or what happens in that realm, we possess a relationship with God that never changes. He is always this and more to us, whatever the circumstances might be, whatever we might be, even in the relationship. And so there's that, that safety place that uh, no matter what happens in our lives relationally, we always, when we turn around with whoever is left standing with us uh, on things, he is always uh, standing uh, there, always faithful to this relationship that he's begun with us and uh, a relationship in which he will never, ever disappoint. So much to be thankful for in that regard. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a, a Christian, you have a core loneliness, the Bible teaches, that can never be filled by another human being or a long conga line of human beings. Because we have been created for relationship with God, there will always be a loneliness at our core, the core of our being, uh, that no other human being can ever, ever fill. And since we've been created for relationship uh, with God, it's only as I enter into that relationship that that loneliness goes away. There's a woman in, uh, that Jesus met in Samaria, a Samaritan woman she's referred to, and Jesus is talking with her, and uh, out of the conversation comes the fact that she'd been married five times. I mean, unheard of in the ancient world in, in Israel. Five times, and then now has kind of given up on marriage and is just is, is living with uh, whoever... Um, uh, she will have or whoever will have her. And it's probably in the second category of things given, given the ancient uh, world. And here you have a woman who is looking to satisfy this inner loneliness with men, with marriage. And from one to the next to the next to the next until Jesus lets her know about the relationship with God and the satisfaction that is found there, and the loneliness that goes away once we know God, that particular uh, loneliness at our core. 
And so the importance of coming to know the Lord, of course, because we are sinners, our sin has separated us from a relationship with God. There are eternal consequences associated with our sin, uh, and, and namely eternal uh, judgment. These are things that we need to be saved from. And so I'm not minimizing that. But to realize as we look at our own histories, our own relationship history, and to examine it for, am I trying to find in people what I will only find in God? And then give my life to the Lord, have that satisfied, and now really have the capacity uh, to, uh, uh, to enter into and be a part of, a productive part of, deep, meaningful, personal relationship with other people. And if you've never done that, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front after the, the service. We'd love to pray with you to begin your relationship with God here today. If you need prayer for anything this morning that's going on in your life for all of us, they'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Fathers, we look at the terrible, terrible consequences that are anywhere we want to look within our nation of abandoning you, abandoning your truth, abandoning your love, abandoning your wisdom. And all it ever does is just pile up casualties and casualties and casualties. And why would personal relationship be able to escape the great trend that is happening in our nation. But we thank you for your Bible to be able to turn to it, to see the health and the wisdom of all of this. Thank you for speaking truth into every area of our life. And we pray concerning these things that you've sown into our hearts today by your Holy Spirit and through your word, that you would allow them to have a, their full effect in our lives that we might identify this kind of relationship in our lives and have these things mark our lives, these relationships, and then um, be that to others who need it from us every bit as much as we do from them. And we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.